Now, I do want to say this. There are many other things I could have applied this to. In fact, I deleted one. I, I wanted to apply it to work. I knew that that wouldn't, our vocation, that wouldn't, we just won't have enough time. But if you want to see how that has been applied, I've preached a number of sermons on that, and we've put that in the description box. So, for instance, in 2017, we had a series called A Gospel-Centered Urban Church, and we had three messages there to talk about vocation, but you see it through the gospel. So vocation, your work, right? And so you will see the gospel's past, the gospel's, uh, the, sorry, work's past, work's present, work's future. Please go ahead and listen to that in our podcast. Or last year, we did a, a study through the book of Colossians, and the series was called Rooted and Built Up, and there were two messages on vocation again. It was called um, 9 to 5 plus, part 1 and part 2. I didn't really apply this to marriage, uh, but we have just a number of, uh, of messages on marriage, whether it's our marriage in, Married in Lagos um, uh, seminar, stroke conference that we have. Please check our gospel, the Gospel in Lagos podcast. you see that. But there also, even in that Colossians series, there, there's, um, um, we call it the Rearranged Marriage, part one and part two. But there are many other messages there. What, this is what we try to do in City Church, to say we're a gospel-centered church. That the gospel is not just proclaimed, but we are using it to shape our ministry, but also to transform the life in the power of the Spirit to the people that attend. Now, I should say also that um, as we go into questions, I hope you are sending in your questions right now because we do need questions. Uh, but also, don't forget to like, comment, sh uh, share, and subscribe. If you've not subscribed to our YouTube channel, if you've not subscribed to our WhatsApp, uh, to our Mixer, that's follow us on Mixer or follow us on Facebook. But do follow us on Twitter as well. We are City Church Lagos. Follow us on Instagram at City Church Lagos as well. Um, those things do help us, and they, they, they really enable us to be able to share the gospel more and more to people. Now, uh, this series of teachings will be the first four already on our YouTube channel, so you can use share. This last one will also be there. Please share and send to people. We're also working on trying to create shorter forms, about 15-minute forms, of some of the teachings, and that will be rolled out in the next couple of weeks. I should say, after this teaching, we are going to go on a little bit of a break, um, and it probably is anywhere between three and four weeks. So just keep um, follow us on our social media channels, and you know when we'll come back and we'll start another series of teachings. Now, with all those announcements, I should let us get into questions, if there are questions there. Now, for you to send questions, you can send the questions on the live chat in YouTube, in the comment section in Facebook, on the comment section on Mixler, or you can send your question, please just put your name, you can send your question to WhatsApp on the WhatsApp number 0907 Okay. So I've received one, um, one question from, um, from Ifumi. Thank you, Fumi. Uh, I realized that as much as I hate being hurt, I tend to cling on to it so much. I feel this is so because it's more like a safe way for me to retreat into my shell and shut the, the, the world out. I kind of like the control and the numbness it gives me. Sometimes I'm able to acknowledge and confess my sin, but many times I am not able to. What do you have to say to me? So Fumi sends that in for WhatsApp. Fumi, I'm really, I, I'm really sorry about how you feel, and I know, 
I, I don't know it from personal experience. I mean, I have my own struggles, but the issue of being closed out to the world, I've had to deal with that uh, with, with people and counseling people. We've had many people in our church who struggled with that. And I should say this, please, don't allow people to condemn you, not just for me, but people who go through mental, um, who have issues with their mental well-being. Don't allow people to condemn you. Um, as I said, this is a, it's a side of our brokenness. And so just as the brokenness, we have physical brokenness in our bodies and we go to doctors, we also have physical brokenness in our mental um, uh, faculties as well. It's just, a re it's just um, the result of, 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 of the brokenness of what sin has done. And so I can understand for me that um, I can understand that retreating, as I like the way you put it, you said it, it feels like a, a, a safe way for me to retreat into my shell and shut the world out. It's true, in many ways, the world, if you use the world in a qualitative way, not in terms of people, but just the world, the way the Bible uses the world many times in the book of John, that there are ways that you need to shut the world out because the world itself is not good for you in the way it reacts to to you or what it has caused. And so you should shut the world out. But retreat into your shell. Has that really worked for you? You said it gives you some kind of control, yes, but it doesn't solve, it doesn't help, it doesn't grow you. I actually think what you should do is not to retreat to your shell, but you should retreat to God. Shut the world out, but retreat to God. Jesus said this. Jesus says that come to me, all you who are weary. And a lot of what you describe is weariness. Weary and heavy laden, burdensome. Come to me. That's what Jesus says. Those, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your soul in me. Now, how does he do this? I didn't quote this, but Paul says, you see, when you read, I've often used 2 Corinthians to help people who are going through depression and despair because what Paul describes as the, his experiences is what a lot of people have experienced. And yet, how did Paul find comfort? Many times, what we look for is just deliverance from our immediate issues. And the Bible teaches us because of the power of the Spirit, sometimes we get deliverance from it. But many times, because we're still waiting for Jesus to return, we don't always get deliverance. So what does he give us in place of deliverance? You know what he gives us? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God of all comfort. His name is the God of all comfort. Why? Who, blesses, who, who comforts us in all our troubles. Blessed be the God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all our troubles. So that we are able to comfort those who are also in trouble with the comfort that we receive from God. Did you see that progression? One of the things I tell people who are going through this, it's, it, in fact, some people that I know that often go with depression, the main thing I try to shout, don't close up. Don't close up. God and Jesus wants, to, Jesus wants to help you by coming to him. But the way many times you come to Jesus is by coming to his body. It's by coming to his church. So you should plug yourself in a local church, but also don't shut yourself. You may shut yourself to the world. Don't shut yourself to one or two or three or four people within that church because they're able to comfort you. That's number one, with the comfort of God. But two, as I used to tell some of those people, I, saw, I remember there was one person, she often went through depressive, you know, depression, depression, depression. So one of the things I told her, I said, do you know part of the problem when you lock yourself in your house and nobody can find you, you are not just depriving yourself of, you're not just depriving of your, yourself 
of the help that comes from the body of Christ for you. You are depriving us of the gift that is in you. And I told her, I said, many times the problem with people in this situation is the devil tricks you to making your world all by yourself. So when you retreat, it actually still focuses you on yourself and your problems. And whereas many times when we serve other people with the comfort of God, I told her, look out for people who have problems. Look out for, do you know how much of a difference that made to her life? Because at this point, she was doing what the Bible tells us to do in the gospel, that we should have the same mind of Christ. We should prefer one another above ourselves. We should look out for others' needs because Christ in the gospel looked out for our needs. As she was doing that, she was being made whole. So when you retreat, Fumi, into your shell, you are not being who God has created you and has saved you to be. I'm not saying this gives you total and ultimate deliverance. What I have often seen with people that I have counseled with the gospel is that they see improvement. They see progress. As a particular lady, every time when she's had a crisis, she'll come to me and she'll say, you know, it's been bad, she's blah, blah. I ask her, when, last, when was your last crisis? She'll say, well, the last time. When was it? Uh, she said two months ago. I said, do you remember two years ago? How often were you having crisis? Every three days. Now you're having it every two months. Do you see? You are making progress. So for me, what I'm saying is that retreating, shutting the, the, the world out is one thing, but retreating into your own shell will exacerbate and increase the problem. What you need to do is shut the world out, but open yourself to Christ and to his body. And when you receive the help and the counsel from the gospel there, you find people that will listen to you, but after they've listened and listened well to you, they will comfort you, they will hug you, they will speak the truth of God to you, they will follow you, but also give yourself. Give yourself also to helping others. And watch how God brings you out, God progresses you into healing. And guess what? It's also possible that he can deliver you as well, totally from it. I hope that helps. Um, Snapflix from on Mixer says, "Thank you very much for this teaching, um, sir. I must say I'm blessed. I'm happy that inspired and filled with some certain understandings. Thank, uh, thank God, uh, Snapflix. My question is from where you address forgiveness and social justice. You obviously made us understand how forgiveness can be so painful with the feeling of being oppressed, but yet we should forgive because God has forgiven." who uh, God has forgiven uh, us, we who put our faith in Christ. But speaking of justice, you spoke of some certain things. So here's my question. Being a gospel-centered people, shouldn't we let go? I mean, forgive things like rape, oppression, racism, instead of advocating for justice for them? Should we also be part of these protesting for justice? Snapflix, yes, I think we should. And let me make certain distinctions. First of all, while we say we should forgive, I have not been raped. I cannot forgive for somebody that has been raped. I can, with the gospel, with the gospel, um, ask people to forgive, but I can't force them. You know why? God, in the gospel, gave Christ in love, isn't it? He gave it in love. Now, remember what 1 John says. He says, it is not that we first loved God, but that he first loved us. In other words, our response, the right response in apprehension of the gospel, the gospel of love, God's love in Christ, in the death, resurrection, the incarnation, death, resurrection, um, lordship, 
and return of Christ. The response or uh, our response to the gospel of love is also the love of God too. Not that we first love God, but that he first loved us. He initiates with love, and then we respond back with love. Jesus Christ said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for the good of them who are, uh, who are, are called uh, um, according to his... Uh, all, all things work together for the good of them that love God. What is the greatest commandment? To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why do I keep emphasizing that? The gospel is of love, but our response is of love. The gospel is of love. It comes to us, but our response is of love because we are not forced to accept the gospel. I can never... The problem with dictators is... The, the dilemma of dictators is when... Why is it that my people don't love me? But the problem is that you can never force anybody to love you. You can force people to obey you. But you can never force people to love you. You love, you get people to love you by loving them. Husbands love your wives, your wife as Christ loved the church. If you want your wife to love you, you love back. You keep giving love. So God gives love, but he also gives us the freedom to be able to choose. Because if we, if he, if we are like robots, then we didn't exercise our will, and then it cannot be true love to God. Now, you understand that. Now, the reason I say that is, therefore, when we present the gospel to, for somebody to forgive, we cannot control and tell them they must forgive at this time. It's not for us to say. We must preach it in love, but they, on account of having been melted by that God's love, they are the ones that have the responsibility to, to forgive. That is one. Now, that is on a personal note. We also have to ask ourselves, not just in a personal note, what kind of society do we want to live in? We who are gospel-centered. Now, we do know that, yes, the kingdom is not going to come through social reforms. But the people of the kingdom, as they live in this world, can demonstrate some of the implications of the kingdom by trying to live for a better and more just society. And part of what that means is because we are looking for a kingdom, 2 Peter 3 verse 13 says that we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth where justice, righteousness dwells. Because we are looking forward to the combination of the kingdom where there will be justice, we want to be able to see as much justice in our society, not just to individuals. We want to be able to ensure that the issue of rape is not passed on from one generation to another. That is why we protest. That is why we look for justice, not just to an individual. We look for justice that can be put in legislation. We look for justice for in, in, in systemic ways. So we can talk at an individual level. How does this person get healing? And yet we, are asked, we can't force that person to forgive. I'm telling you, uh, Snapflix, I don't know. I sense I may be wrong. You may be a guy. I may be wrong. And forgive me. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I, I ask for your forgiveness. But if you are a guy, we don't really understand. The, the, you see, when somebody is raped, you know what, what is going on there? Not only this person has been dehumanized. This person has been, uh, been yeah, desacralized. This person has been the power dynamics to use to control the person has been exercised so that the person doesn't feel like a human being. And then that person is left with a legacy of trauma. In other words, that person has been totally... The, the, the issue of rape comes to totally 
destroy the person. If the person speaks out, socially that person will be stigmatized. It is an unraveling of a person. We cannot force forgiveness upon that person. And we cannot just say, let's just move on. We should seek justice for it. Not just the justice that brings the people, the perpetrators to book, but to create a, to, to push for a society that is more just. That is why we protest. You see, the thing we're protesting is that you are not using guns. It's using a voice. It's a concerted effort to be able to say, this thing, we demand justice. So I'm for people that protest, and especially when that protest leads to action. And I think as gospel-centered people, we can and should be involved in things like that. Now, some of the people that will be protesting may not be gospel-centered. And there are many ways we as Christians can partner with people who are for the same cause, even though we don't stand on the same foundation. They are for the same cause, even though we don't stand for the same foundation, on the same foundation. If we achieve the results, if they, we achieve the same results, that is a good thing. All right? So I hope that helps. Um, any, is there any other? Let me just look in YouTube. Okay, YouTube. All right. Oops. I may have to go out and come back in. So give me one minute. Let me go back in. Um, T, T. Judah says, please clarify the explanation you gave about Jesus being poor so that we can become rich. Was Jesus spiritually poor on, uh, while on earth since what he ultimately brings us is spiritually eternal riches? No, what, first of all, Jesus humbled himself just by being a human being. That's first how he became poor. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. So he's becoming poor, first of all, is the taking on of nature. Remember, he doesn't lose his divine nature. He's still God. But the putting on of human nature is poverty. There is, that is the poverty that is first expressed there. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, Paul says this. In your relationship to one another, have the same, this verse 5, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So the incarnation, remember that's uh, part of the gospel, the incarnation, the incarnation itself is the humbling of God. Is the humbling of God. God becoming poor. In, in Galatians, chapter, um, uh, Galatians chapter 4, um, verse 4, it says, For when the time had fully come, God sent his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, born of a woman, under the law. The Jesus, who is the Lord of the law, the giver of the law, comes under it. So that is the way he became poor. Then we then see that in that humanity, also he was naturally poor. All right? So there's the, the poverty of the incarnation. There's the poverty experience, right? Just in, born in a very, in a socially poor, economically poor family. But then there is the poverty experienced on the cross. It is in that the spiritual, not that he was spiritually poor, but he received the spiritual, uh, he, he, the consequences he received. The spiritual consequences he received that by being by, by, um, on the cross, the eternal um, punishment of sin, again, put him in a poor condition. So that in his resurrection, 
as he ascends back to heaven, now the humanity that he has is not the humanity after Adam, but this new, new humanity of um, the, the new age to come. And then when he ascends, so he's no longer here. When he ascends, that's when he's now not seen as humbled and poor. He's seen as exalted. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So that the being in heaven is in itself, being in heaven is an expression of his riches. So that's what we mean. So in that regard, when Paul is then applying that to how Christians, some Christians in Macedonia, the Corinth guys, are identifying with the poverty of the Christians in Jerusalem, he is using that truth of the gospel and he's now bringing it as a paradigm on how those guys are helping meet the poverty of those people. That your wealth is meeting the poverty of those people, but that is what you got in the gospel. Jesus Christ's wealth met your poverty by him becoming poor. So you are disadvantaging yourself, Macedonian Christians. You are disadvantaging yourself to help with the poverty of your other brothers. And so I hope that helps. Um, let me see. All right. Then Faith Enola says, uh, with two questions, is there a need for salvation of the soul after being born again? Two, can anyone attain perfection walking on earth like Jesus did on earth? That's a very important question. Um, Faith, so let me, let me demonstrate. I'll, I'll explain why, but I will say the answer to both questions are no. And I say that somebody who once believed in things like that. I did once believe in it, so I'm not, I'm not condemning anybody that believes in it. But I do think that is misinterpreting the scripture to think like that. First of all, the problem is, is, a, is a problem of our view of the human being. So if you make this distinction, as some people have made, a hard distinction because of 1 Thessalonians 5, is it verse 22, 23, where it says that God will sanctify your spirit, soul, and body. If you make what you call a very hard distinction, by hard distinction I mean um, the same way some people look at human beings in, in, in the way of like an egg, a bald egg. And so with the bald egg, I can easily separate the outer shell, and then I can separate the... Um, the white, and then I can separate the yolk. And so when we think about a human being, we say, here is body. You can put body here. Here is soul. Here is spirit. Yeah, that, that's a problem because I don't think that that's how the Bible teaches it. We are integrated. You see, when it says in the beginning, um, when God created Adam and Adam, what did he do? There was earth there. God had formed the body. And then when God formed the body, God put in him the spirit of life, the breath of life, and then he became a living being. Many times how we think about soul is not really from a Hebrew, it's not from a Judeo-Christianity view. It's actually coming from what you call a historic Greek philosophical view, right? The Neoplatonism, and Platonism, where the soul is, is, some people say, 
here's what is in my spirit. I have th this in my spirit. My spirit is made up of this. Then my soul is made up of my mind, my will, my emotion, and my desires. That's my soul. And then my body is based on five senses. And so what then happens is, there is sort of, I was saved in my spirit. And for some people, they say, you are saved in your spirit, and you are perfectly saved in your spirit. There was a, there was a phrase we used to say, I am saved in my spirit, fully, perfectly. I am being saved in my soul, and I will be saved in my body. You know, the, the saying it that way just makes it sound like, ah, that, that, that seems nice. It's, it's a nice way of saying it, except that's not what the Bible teaches, because it doesn't compartmentalize it that way. Now, quite often, the only time that you, you have that three-part distinction between spirit, soul, and body is in that 1 Thessalonians 5. Actually, most of the time, the Bible just distinguishes bet between the outer and the inward part. So remember in 2 Corinthians 4, we read, Paul says, my outward man and my inner man. In 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1, Paul talks about body and spirit. In fact, it is the integration of the body and spirit that is the soul. Like, in fact, most times in the Bible, Old and New Testament, the soul is the entire person. The soul is you, body and spirit. Is the soul, this person, that's why I say, become a living soul, a living being. That human being is body and spirit. It's outside and outward. It's not outside here, inside, but inside the inside, there's another one. There's spirit inside there. And it has led some people to say, oh, when I'm saved of my spirit, my spirit cannot sin because the new man cannot sin. And they misquote one John uh, that said, whosoever is born of God cannot sin in that regard and apply it in that way, whereas that's not what John was talking about. So they say, my spirit man is perfect. That's so if I'm even speaking in tongues, I'm speaking for my spirit man. But my soul is where I have issues. This is just not what the Bible teaches. So let me try as best as I can to, 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 to see. That's why we went through status, life, and hope. First of all, faith, accept that the human being is an, an integration of this outer and inner. Outer and inner. And the inner goes from all things to do with our emotions, the, the emotional part of us, the intellectual part of us, the rational part of us. Yes, the spiritual part of us. And the body is what we see. But it is integrated. That's why if somebody should die now, if, the, if somebody should have a problem with his body, if my leg is being cut off, my soul is affected. My soul is affected. If my spirit should depart, my body decays. They are so integrated to each other. So that you can't have salvation of one without salvation of the other. So my, I am saved. First of all, it's not about spirit or body. It is status. I am given a status. That's the first thing about salvation. It's about a status. I now have a status. I have this identity whereby I'm saved. That's it. I just have it. Like, I was not righteous before, but now I'm righteous. I wasn't God's son before, now I'm God's son. I wasn't married to Christ before, now I am engaged and betrothed to Christ. Like, it just gives us a status. Nothing happens in us, but something happens to us. Second, when it says that he then sends the Spirit to live in our hearts, let's not think about our hearts like this cup, and then the Spirit is inside us. It's just metaphoric language to say there's a way God has possessed us, and the Spirit is always with us. Because in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, 
and 13 and 14, it says that on the one hand, we are baptized into the spirit, we are baptized into the spirit, on the other hand, we've drank of the spirit. So are we in the spirit or the spirit is in us? So that's where the spatial metaphor breaks down. So first we have the status. But the second thing is that this spirit is giving to us. What he is doing is that he is transforming our character, that part that is unseen. Don't make that total distinction between spirit and just see the unseen, whether you call it spirit or the inner man. He's making changes. He's, 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 he's changing us. But sometimes that spirit acts on our body in healing and what have you. Now, having then said that, what we are then going to then have in when Jesus returns is that this human being will be perfected inside and outside. What I have now in gospel life is that I am growing in the inward man, in my character. I'm growing, but I'm also dying. And there's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. So I'm, uh, growth means I'm giving more to the spirit, which is I'm being more conformed to the image of Christ, which is I'm being more godly, but I don't do it perfectly. Why? Because in your second question, which is what your second question asks, there is no way we can be morally perfect in this world whilst we are in this body because our total salvation is a salvation of body and spirit. It's a salvation of inward and outward together. So the perfection of your character, the perfection of your insight comes with the perfection of your body. And so the teaching that says we can be morally perfect some people would even say spiritually perfect so that we have so much power. Whilst we are bearing the body of Adam, actually is an erroneous teaching. I'm not condemning people. I'm not condemning people by saying it, but I'm also saying it is actually really wrong. We are meant to continue to grow, 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 grow towards the mark. It gives us the direction. But when we get to the mark, Christ will come to complete that. And I hope that helps. All right. Um, so it's already past eight, and I'm not seeing any other question. And so we'll have to bring this series to an end. It's been a pleasure uh, for as many have, have, have attended all, or maybe you've caught up or uh, not live. We really thank you for joining us throughout. And so look forward to the next series. Um, we'll let you know what that would be. Uh, but as I said, we're, probably, we're going to be taking a three to four week break. But we'll let you know. You'll know when we're going to resume because we are, we'll announce it on our social media channels. Until then, let's continue to live by the gospel. Let's continue to be rooted in the gospel. And let Christ be, let Christ be fully formed in our hearts. God bless you. And see you soon. You can follow. Oh, sorry, I forgot to say. If you don't have, if you are not, if you don't have anywhere to worship on Sunday, please come. Join us at 9 a.m. On, on, on Sunday when we have services through here, and um, I'm sure you'll be blessed by that too. Take care and God bless you.